You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Aaron Donald is a very, very rich man. We'll get to the NBA in just a minute, but the big breaking news this afternoon that, you know, we figured might be coming down the pipeline but didn't know when and didn't know how is now here all-pro defensive tackle Aaron Donald will stick with the Rams, gets a fat raise that makes him the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL, gives him an extra $40 million bucks over the last three years of his existing deal, sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter, making him the first non-QB to eclipse $30 million per season. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Sarah, all I can think here is that only days after Aaron Donald made it clear that if the money wasn't right, he wasn't coming back, the Rams simply said, okay, then we'll get the money right. Right. I mean, there are so few players in the NFL that have this kind of leverage, but the ones that do move the needle for everybody else. We saw it with Kirk Cousins. We've seen it with Aaron Rodgers. You know, you're seeing the players who have some leverage. And in his case, he may very well have been 100% honest, Fitz, when he said that he was willing to walk away. We'll never know. But he may have genuinely been willing to walk away. And for a team like the Rams that gave up draft picks to get all of their talent through free agency and homegrown players and the guys on their roster, to lose someone like that for nothing, not possible. Couldn't do it. Uh, And as much money as they gave him is reminding us yet again, Fitz, that the salary cap is just a suggestion that probably can be finagled to work out for you if you really want to keep someone around. Well, and some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless is that if you are amongst the best of what you do, I took a quick second and I Googled the highest paid players per position, We all know names like Tyreek Hill, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Jamal Adams. Why did I name those people specifically? They're all players that made it clear they wouldn't stay where they were or continue to work without new big money added to their contract. And it worked for all of them. So the straight talk, straight talk wires, no contract, no compromise, is be vocal and get paid if you're the best amongst the best at what you do in the NFL. Now that is the big news today. But the big news coming into today was all about what happened last night. And it sounded like this. The Warriors had a lead that was too big to blow in game two. Golden State is even the NBA Finals. The Warriors win it 107-88 to Boston, and we're headed east with the best of seven tied at one. That's ESPN Radio on the call. And, Sarah, I sat there at the beginning of the third quarter and said, we've seen this before, no worries. Third (laughs) quarter gets a little out of hand. It'll be fine. Then you blink, you go get yourself, you know, a nice beverage. You come back and you realize that at that point – It was well out of control. This was a tight game going into the second half, and then it was a tight game no more. The the Golden State Warriors absolutely just pounced all over the Celtics in the second half and get it done. When you said we've seen this before, I presume you're referring to game one of this series and not the last series where when we saw a team (laughs) go off in a quarter, it was like, oh, there's the weird quarter and this one's over. Um, This was the Warriors taking a page out of the heat book. They had constant pressure. They got handsy with them. They convinced the Celtics that they needed to disrupt their plan. They weren't effective in, in, in the things that they were trying to do. The turnovers returned that were such a huge problem for them against Miami. The Heat 
uh, if you remember, in all of the games where they will be able to get tons of transition points and not have to work too hard against the Celtics in the half court, that's when they were successful. Now, the Warriors did a decent job against the half court set as well, but they had 30 deflections and 15 steals. They got 33 points off of turnovers, which is the second most in the last 25 years. This was a Warriors team that set the tone early that they weren't going to get bullied around on defense like they did in game one. And a lot of that was Draymond, who I don't want to put too much emphasis on one play, but first play of the game, he said, old man Horford, sit down. I'm taking that ball. And that was <laughs> the rest of the game. Here's Steph Curry talking about it. About five minutes after game one. <laughs> That's all I needed to see and hear from him, just in terms of what he knew he needed to do. And I think we talk about it. Some of that stuff doesn't necessarily or doesn't always show up in the stat sheet in terms of you know, points, rebounds, assists, just you know, that wow factor. But you feel him in his presence and the other team feels him in his presence and his intensity. And that is contagious for all of us. So uh, it was great to see. Should have set that up, but that was him talking about when he knew that he was going to get a different energy from Draymond in game two, and he said it was, you know, right after game one ended when he was all fired up. Well, he's not wrong. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz. If you remember right after game one, Green said everything was going to be different and kept Mm -hmm. talking about how the Celtics needed to feel him more. And I don't know if that planted a seed in my mind. I don't know if it planted a seed in your mind, but I know this. When I was sitting there watching the beginning of the game, I felt him like you, you just felt like he was everywhere. And it almost felt like that video game moment where no matter how the Celtics tried to move the ball around and, and part of what helped them so much in game one was frankly, their assist to turnover ratio at one point in the fourth quarter was just uh, insane, like nothing we've ever seen. And now all of a sudden it felt like every time they tried to move the ball anywhere, Draymond was just a little ahead mm-hmm. of everybody and just played that role of agitator that I think he plays so well. And, and that when you've got that level of energy coming from Draymond, the Warriors just feel like everything becomes easier for them offensively because defensively they have got, they're, they're in your head. And once you've accomplished that, it just felt like the Celtics, especially in that third quarter, had no answer. And the difference was here once it felt like there was no answer the Warriors saw that and just pressed the turbo button. Like there was a different level of charge for them in the third quarter, even than we saw in game one. That was the most lopsided quarter in Warriors history, that 21 plus point third when compared to the Celtics. And here's the thing, Fitz, you can come out with all that energy. And if Draymond gets ejected that second time, which I wouldn't have been completely angry about. I also was fine with him not getting ejected. I wasn't sure that that was truly a tech. Just telling them both to move on was fine with me. Um, but that could have gone differently. Draymond giveth and Draymond taketh away, I say, multiple times a series because that energy that he brings can be huge for a team. It can also get wild. And thankfully for the Warriors, a couple things worked out for them in addition to that excellent defensive pressure that they put on. One was that Steph Curry had a fantastic game offensively and defensively. They also, as a team, played so much better that the Celtics could not find good looks. Their expected effective field goal percentage, so that's like shot location, that's how far away defenders were from them when they shot, all that stuff, was only 49% in Game 2. That's the single worst mark of the entire postseason, single worst mark of any game for the Celtics since January. So this was an impossible uh, situation for the Celtics where they couldn't score inside, In fact, they've only had 14 looks at the rim over the course of two games combined. They cannot get in the paint 
against the Warriors. So they can't score inside. If they can't get good looks outside so that they can recreate that 50-plus percentage from the perimeter that they did in Game 1, then where do you go? And, and and that's the game there. You you put up 21, and then you can't let them back in it, and they didn't. But to your point, that energy is everything as long as you sustain it. And uh, we've seen from both of these teams throughout the playoffs that if you let up down the stretch, they will come right back on you. And so it's good for the Warriors to close the door. I think we're really burying the most important lead here, Sarah, which is I'm back, baby. I mean, eventually you knew I'd had to get things oh right. Uh, with a, with okay, a, I need to see the full tally, though, because you're not back. Oh, you no, won no, no, one no, no, bet, no, no, no. but like I in mean, terms of like the the left side is the deficit and the right side is trying to get back in the black, like you're nowhere near, I'm sure. Well, no, 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 no. Let's be very clear. I'm nowhere near <laughs> the proper side of that portion of it. But every time I sit and look at the app and say, should I put more money in? No, the answer is no. This time for once, I didn't have to. So I feel like that in <laughs> oh, and of boy. itself is oh, a boy. small win. There was no way that the, the Warriors were leaving home down 0-2. Like that, 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 that wasn't going to happen. In my mind, that was just all the justification I needed, which I did not feel good about at the half. But I felt great about in the third quarter. So, you know, you're welcome, Golden State. It's all, it all comes back to me. Uh, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, we'll keep breaking down everything you need to know about the NBA Finals. Uh, Going to have some guests on over the course of the next couple of hours. But will the best player in the NHL, maybe arguably the most dominant player in any sport right now, make a quiet exit in the Stanley Cup playoffs? We'll ask an expert mm. next. Spain and Fitz on the ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Asom just asked on Twitter if I had party voice from the weekend. No, I wish. I wish I had party voice from the weekend. I didn't, you didn't even party talk all weekend. At all? No, I, there was no partying. There, there, was oh. very, there was very little alcohol even over the last just several days. Just you and this a bunch is, of pies? Just you and like is, eight pies celebrating your birthday? It's me and allergies. It's me oh. and allergies. Like, wow. the allergies have won. Sexy like, I can, birthday. I can feel the thing that's in my throat. I just can't get it out. That's, uh, if it's, you know what? Don't make everyone back home jealous of how well, superstar radio hosts get to spend their birthdays you know, I don't fighting wanna, I don't phlegm back. alone. Sit, sitting alone in a movie theater watching Bob's Burger, the movie. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that on the show Friday, that some strange person sat right next to you in an right empty theater. Empty Maybe that's theater. where you got the phlegm from. Oh, my God. I don't know. I, you know, no one wants to listen Did to me talk anymore. Did you say some popcorn? Uh, I, look, there was a, I got a free large popcorn for my birthday. You know me. Nice. I'm too cheap to say no to All anything right. free. All right, we'll let Emily Kaplan talk now. She'll sound much better than I do. ESPN NHL reporter extraordinaire joining us. Emily, as always, appreciate your time. I'll ask you a question, but first I will tell you that your work throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs continues to be beyond exceptional. It's fun to watch you just kick butt every single day. Now that I've said that, the Lightning come back. They were down 2 nothing. They get the 3-2 win. It feels like maybe there's some momentum from it. What did you take from that for Tampa Bay? All right, well, firstly, I just wanted to apologize because you guys said I was going to have a great voice, but I'm, oh, I'm no. battling through a two-fist. Your poor <laughs> viewers, your poor viewers, listeners. Um, but listeners. No, I, honestly, that is a veteran team right there. Um, you know, John Cooper said that he identified the turning point in this series as midway through game two. Um, that is when he moved Stephen Stamkos, his top-line setter and captain, up to that top line with Nikita Kucherov. But it wasn't just that. That was the moment that I think the team, team realized that they needed urgency. Um, they were handling the puck better. They realized that their Stanley Cup window was closing. And honestly, my biggest takeaway was that nine-day break that the Lightning had entering the Eastern Conference Final was a thing. It took them a while to get their legs under them. The Rangers were much more in a rhythm. And now we have a series. And it seemed like it was also about who took advantage of being on the advantage. There was this, that massive mm-hmm. opportunity where the Rangers really could have put them away. 
they didn't, and then a couple of minutes later, the lightning really get in it. Uh, this feels like, is that a trend that you anticipate continuing on? Is that something that you saw in the first two games as well? Yeah, this was definitely the game of power plays. All the, the first goals were all scored at the power play, and the only one that was at five-on-five five was that Andre Pilat winner with under a minute left. You know, something interesting is after the game, Gerard Glint complained a bit on the Rangers coach, and he said, I'm going to have to bring it up with the series supervisors because I don't like the way that they're crashing the net and coming out either Shostak and my goalie. Now, I think it's interesting because they Lightning were actually penalized twice for going after Igor Shostak, so I'm not sure what more he wants, but that might be a storyline to keep an eye on in game four. We're talking to Emily Kaplan and uh, ESPN NHL reporter Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz. I, I keep trying to figure out who the Rangers are because I understand – the concept that, you know, never quit is how they're defined. But on paper, it doesn't look like they should be as good as they are in this series or so far in the playoffs. To you, when you look at the Rangers, uh, can they win this series? And what's made them so special? They can. They definitely can. And I think what makes them special is their naivete, honestly. Um, no situation phases them. They're 5-0 and in elimination games these playoffs. Um, and part of that is interesting because they were one of four teams this season that began without a captain and said they made a bunch of assistant captains, which everyone thought was kind of silly. But I think it was by design because Gerard Gallant like, and, likes any of his players to lead at any given time, and that's exactly what they've been. Um, and the biggest thing for them is this kid line, these three youngsters. They're all like 22 years old. They were all very top draft picks, two number two overall, number one overall, number 21 overall, I think Bill Tito was. And they all struggled at first in the NHL, and they had their growing pains, and fans kind of turned on them early. But they were patient with them. They worked with them, and all three of those guys are finding their stride at exactly the right time. They're confident at the right time. They're scoring, and it really, you know, to win a Stanley Cup, you need your depth. And this feels like the best third line we've seen since Tampa Bay's third line two years ago that propelled them to a cup. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Emily Kaplan. Somehow, I have the best voice on the show right now, which is a real indictment to both of you. Um, And I did drink a lot this weekend, including last (laughs) night, and I sound great. Uh, You can follow her at Emily M. Kaplan for great coverage of the NHL playoffs. You mentioned young and talented. Connor McDavid, Emily, I just, he's stuck on the Oilers. No offense to the Oilers or Edmonton, but it doesn't really cut through into the American psyche the same way as an American team might. And you get to the Stanley Cup final, and you might have a chance to get casual fans to really recognize the brilliance, but... They might get bounced tonight. You think this is a gentleman sweep, or are we seeing the end of the Oilers tonight? I think there's a very good chance we see the end of the Oilers tonight. And the issue with Connor McDavid has always been he doesn't have a supporting cast. He does have one player who is elite around him, and that is Leon Draisaitl. Leon Draisaitl, unfortunately, is so banged up. It's so apparent when you watch him play. Uh, Darnell Nurse, probably their next best player as their top defenseman, is also battling through a lot. And the truth is they just don't have a supporting cast that the Avalanche do because the Avalanche have had a ton of injuries, and it's just been this next-man-up mentality. They're already down to their second-string goaltender. It hasn't been an issue. So you're right. I think it is a shame that we haven't seen, like, McDavid versus McKinnon going skill for skill, as you were promised here. But I hope what fans realize is that Kale McCarr is that guy, and he's been the stud of the series. He's the young defenseman on the uh, Colorado Avalanche, and he's going to be winning Norris trophies and, I think, Hart trophies for year to come. Okay, but... While you're going to mention him, we need to talk about the news surrounding him and, you know, the the play. What do you make of it and how long you think he should be out? Okay, well, good news is Sweet Kale McCarr has nothing involved with, I think, what you're talking about. It was the Evander Kane uh, 
Oh, yeah, am I mixing those two up? Yeah, 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 mixing those two up. You need to know this about Kale McCarr. He is a sweet prince. One time I asked all NHL players what was the last thing he splurged on, and he said, "Um, I got a Slurpee recently. I don't usually do that, but I did. So My apologies to the sweet prince uh, for mixing him up. But, but let's no, talk yeah. about. Um, so yeah. Amanda Kane was suspended for a game for um, very different guy. Knocking that very different guy. <laughs> very different guy. Very different guy. Uh, but yeah, so we won't see Google Amanda it. Kane. <laughs> All right. So uh, then, are you good with the Evander Kane suspension? Do you think that was the right call? It definitely was the right call to suspend him. I think it could have been for an additional game, especially giving the severity of the uh, injury to a second line center who's been so impactful in these playoffs. Um, the fact that Kane does have a prior history just with the Department of Player Safety, nothing off the ice that they consider, and that is three suspensions and two fines before this. Um, you know, a similar play happened to Brandon Hagel with the Lightning, and he was just fined and not suspended. So the Department of Player Safety bumping up to one game suspension, I think, was just considering the context, but I think I would have liked to see more. Emily, just quickly, I don't know if you've seen it yet. We're running out of time here, but we got a minute or so. Uh, the Bruins have relieved Bruce Cassidy of his duties as head coach. What does this mean for that team? You you like that move? No, I don't. And I don't think most hockey fans do, quite frankly. Um, I honestly think this is management kind of covering up for their own mistakes and finding a scapegoat or a fall guy. I think Bruce Cassidy is one of the best coaches in hockey, full stop. Um, super insightful, pushes the right buttons with his guys, and he's going to be coaching behind an NHL bench next year, which is hopefully with the Bruins. Yeah, well, Emily, as always, great work by you. You can follow her on Twitter, at Emily M. Kaplan. Appreciate you, my friend. Feel I feel better. Hope I, I hope both of our voices get better quickly. Yeah, like a, like a nasal oh my God. I'm gonna send Max situation, some sort of, like, hot tea. I'm just going to uh, mail all my leftover hauls to Jason. There you go. Here's the, the solution I haven't tried yet, Emily, but you can. I have tried it in the past many years in singing. But uh, one thing you can do that's disgusting is if you want to take orange juice and dark rum, mix them 50-50, and then microwave it until it's really hot and what? then chug it down, your voice oh. will be fine. You won't like the taste of it, though, Emily. Okay. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate Ugh. it. Yeah, I, I didn't. Say I feel like I'm being punked. I'm gonna hang up. <laughs> no, it's a real thing, but no, I, 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 as you can tell, like I haven't tried it yet today because it just tastes so terrible that uh, you know, it takes a little, it takes a little strength to get through. It. And uh, to Sarah's point, by the way, first of all, thanks Emily for coming on. Also, uh, the Cassidy move a little interesting as uh, 107 points for the Bruins this year, and uh, obviously. They've had a very good team, so we'll see what they do moving forward and how many teams now will look at their bench and say, huh, do we right. want to upgrade? That is going to mm-hmm. be the the ever-so-interesting question across the NHL today as that's an unexpected uh, talent coming open at this point. So, speaking of talent, we're two games into the NBA Finals. Who has the advantage as we head to Boston for Game 3? We'll get insights from one of our favorite experts next. Sp- say, hmm, I know the name of the show. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always on the ESPN Mondays. Now. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, froggy-voiced Fitz with you here on this Monday. <laughs> ESPN Fitz. Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. DJ Froggy Fitz. I wish you had DJ name. I, I feel like that's a pretty. Uh, like, well, it's Jason Fats or. Uh, what I don't know. Some... Froggy fits, though, because I'm always hoppy. Get it? Like happy, hoppy. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm, I'm workshopping. This is live. Like I'm not an yeah, improv guy. Let's, let's keep no? workshopping okay. it. Okay. Uh, okay. We talked a little bit about game two <laughs> of the NBA finals. Let's get back into it because I'm fascinated by this series now, Fitz. This game did not convince me in either direction who this series belongs to. 
Boston's just okay at home. It was a great thing that they stole a game from the Warriors in the Bay because the Warriors have been so dominant at home. But Boston has been great on the road and just okay at home. So I don't think returning to Boston tells me anything about what direction this series is going to go in Game 3. There's going to be a massive focus on that third quarter and not getting blown out like they have in the first two games. They really struggle with the third quarter. But... Was Poole actually significantly better? Was it just that they changed the lineups he was playing in? Is Klay Thompson going to find his shot again? How the hell did Jason Tatum score as much as he did and still have the all-time worst plus-minus in finals history? Like, there are so many questions that I have. I don't feel like this answered as many questions as it did presented with me with some more, Uh, which is why it's a good thing that we have ESPN NBA analyst and legend Vince Carter on, maybe to help me with some of those questions. Vince, thanks for the time. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Let's start with Jordan Poole. He was getting dragged after game one. Did they actually figure out how to use him better in different lineups? Or was this just a matter of he got some shots off, but they're still maybe buoyed a bit by Gary Payton being out there with him, and it's not a real fix? I I think it's it's something, because I I feel like it's a dangerous game that Boston played. And and I say this, I say it like that because, you know, Confidence, confidence is something. We all, you know, when we all playing a sport and we find our way and we get our confidence, we become different players. And we, we've seen Jordan struggle. We saw him struggle in the first half of game two. But we saw a difference in the second half. And, you know, Steph starts on the barrage of hitting, th- hitting jump shots and whatever. And I think Golden State went into a change into their pick-and-roll offense instead of their movement offense. And what the pick-and-roll offense created was opportunities for Steph to play against the other bigs. We saw a little bit of that in game one. We saw a lot of it in, in, in the third quarter. We saw their adjustments, but it was just different. Their, their pace, the way they play. And then once Steph goes out, they put the ball in Jordan Poole's hands and he started playing a little bit of running some of the offense that Steph was running as far as pick and roll. And he started hitting a few shots. And once go, um, Boston kind of conceded and put their second unit in, Jordan Poole continued to hit shots. And I think he was able to find his rhythm all of a sudden. And that's a dangerous game. In the playoffs, in regular season, cool, whatever. But in the playoffs, historically, like I, I played for a while. I, excuse me, I played for coaches who <laughs> did, did, it, who did not want to, who didn't want to give players confidence whether we're winning or losing. You don't want to give a player confidence going into the next game, you know, for whatever reason. And Jordan Poole is a huge uh, asset, and he's a huge piece to what they do offensively so when Steph usually it typically goes out like you said he struggled well now he has his confidence going on the road which is important so Vince let's walk that forward then because we talked about Draymond all day today being the agitator at the beginning of game two Mm -hmm. who for the Celtics needs to step up and be an agitator defensively that can stop this momentum that Golden State has shooting well, I think this is a setup question because I think we, we all understand it's Marcus Smart for sure. He is the right. energy and effort, and he's the head of the snake. He's the guy that sets the tone because he has the responsibility, if you would, somewhat of guarding, um, of, of guarding Steph Curry as well as, as well as Derek White because and if you if you notice you, you saw him guarding uh, Draymond Green a little bit, and it was a little weird at first, but it made sense because Draymond is typically the guy to set the screen. And they can switch that way to put him back on Steph because the the game plan, if we think about this, was to get Steph off of Marcus Smart. That's why he they put Marcus in multiple screens to get him off of him. So what they started to do is put him on Draymond, who was their primary screener, and that changed things. But now they just they they bring in now 
of Gary Payton. He's the one setting the screen. So they counter their, their, their chest moves, and they won that one. So I think, you know, Marcus Smart being aggressive. I think Jason Tatum as well being aggressive. And they have to find some shooting. I mean, you can't have Marcus Smart scoring two points. Uh, Al Horford after having a big night mm-hmm. scoring two points. Um, Derek White had a, a, a okay night. I think he had like 12 points, if I'm mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. But they didn't have that big night. So I, I think Golden State said, okay, Jason Tatum may get his. Brown may get his, but we can't allow all, everyone to have it or you will not beat the Boston Celtics because they are good defensively, even though they, you know, they didn't show that in the third quarter, which has been their Achilles heel. Eight-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA team selection, and half-man, half-amazing. Vince Carter is with the Sierra on Spain and Fitz talking NBA finals. Let's talk about Clay Vince, I, I, mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I'm not convinced that he's, it's just gone. He can get so hot so quick, and I know I'm the Celtics you. are going to have to defend him even when he's ice cold, but if you're Steve Kerr, how do you get Clay back into the mix and feeling it? But there's another example of it. Yeah, he struggled early, and in that barrage and in that third quarter, he was able to find his way a little bit. Uh, sorry, Clay has been around long enough, and he just needs to see that ball go in a couple of times, and things can change. And there again, you know, the one thing you, we can say is maybe he's losing it, and they said that last series. Maybe he's losing it, and what did he do in Game 5? <laughs> Clay has an outstanding Game 5, and he set the tone, and he was the, the – the, the catalyst and the guy they played through. And that's one thing I love about Steph. And I know you talk about Clay, but that's one thing I love about Steph is he's a superstar, a megastar, but he understands when his guys are rolling or if they need to get going, he will allow them to do so and take a, a back seat, if you would, to them. And in game five, he did that. He allowed Clay to be the guy they play through. And he had the big night and Steph only had 18, 19 points. But they still got the win, and that was important. So look for—I mean, I still—I would like to see Clay continue to be aggressive. And you know, it's hard to be aggressive when you have Steph Curry coming out firing away. But we didn't see that in the second half. They actually played through Clay, and he wasn't hitting shots early. And then Steph took over, and that's what I like to see. With, you know, with Clay, is just being aggressive, shooting shots because, like you said, they have to pay attention to a cold Steph uh, Clay Thompson like they would a hot Clay Thompson. All right, Vince, so we've all seen the third quarters in the first two games of this series, and they've been mm-hmm. horrific for Boston. What's Boston have to do to change that? It's, you know, it, it, this, is, this is kind of the, the thing that I, I'd never have an answer for because I've been on teams where we understand, we answered questions time and time again about our terrible third quarters and slow starts and how we're going to change it up. We're going to get guys out on the floor earlier to get a good lather and get ready. It just has to be your mentality. It has to be your willingness to do it more than anything because this is something we've talked about with the Celtics all playoffs and in some, uh, into uh, the, the, the end of the regular season. So they just have to find a way to get themselves fired up as it was the first quarter of a game because we saw Jason Tatum and, well, Jalen Brown first and then Jason Tatum come out like guns blazing in, in the first quarter of game two and then just passive and passive, and it, it kind of to bleed into everyone and didn't find their way, and it has been that way all the way. So I don't really have a a real answer. What guy say? I could say, yeah, come out with your defensive intensity and set right. the tone, but we've seen it seen it time and time again. So like, I don't know. It just you it just has to get done. Find a way. That's I mean, and, and it sounds cliche. It sounds boring. It sounds stupid. It's like that's it. Well, yeah, that's it. It has to Simple. get done if you yeah. want to be a champion. Because if you don't, you will lose. 
at Mr. Vince Carter 15 is where you can follow him on Twitter. I don't have a feeling for this series based uh, on the first two games now. I know in theory it gets you know helpful for Boston to go home. Maybe Draymond's temper mm-hmm. gets a little too riled up with those fans and he loses control of it. But do you have a feeling on this series after these two? Do you know what to expect in Game Three? <laughs> no, <laughs> I do not. And and you know and here's the funny here's the here's the funny dynamic and roller coaster to all of that. Like what you said. Boston's going home, so you know the energy and effort, and they're going to try to hit first in the first in the first half, particularly in the first quarter, the first five minutes. Cool. And where do we go from there? So regardless of what we see in the first half, you know there there were close games both times at halftime, two point games, and I don't remember it was like two to five point game, maybe if correct me if I'm wrong in game one. Okay, even if they're up ten <laughs> at the end of the first half, what's going to happen to the Boston Celtics in the third quarter after that? being up 10 or down 10 does it balloon to 20 25 like it did or you know does it now become a tie game so regardless of the hit first golden state just has to weather the storm to get to the third quarter seems like and they'll be okay so i think a lot of pressure is on boston to, to 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 play or find a way to put together 48 minutes or four good quarters um which you know you know we don't easier know easier said than done yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly Awesome stuff, Vince. We really appreciate the time. Enjoy the next game. Thank you. Thank you. You Thanks, do Vince. the same. Hopefully we have some more good stuff to talk about. Yeah, for sure. The legendary Vince Carter with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance makes bundling home and auto easy. Learn more at Progressive.com. Coming up, is Draymond Green a phony? A former NBA player thinks so. You'll hear that in a whole bunch more. Gas bagging next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Monday from Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitzy's got a little uh, tickle in his throat. A little bit. He claims it's not. Starting to come back. I'm having a little tea. Things are getting better. It does sound a little better. Um, Claims it's not from his birthday celebrations this weekend, but I'm not convinced. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just not not buying it. I don't Nobody buy that take. like this guy. Nobody I don't parties. buy that take. Speaking of takes, <laughs> uh, usually during the football season is when we trot out the voices of some of our colleagues here at ESPN and elsewhere and decide whether they're given a good take or a hot take. But sometimes, like during the NBA Finals, we make an exception and we do a little NBA good take, hot take. Let's get into it. Take six. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. That's right. Let's start with Antonio Daniels, former NBA player. He was on with Keyshawn J. Will and Max this morning and had this to say about the Golden State team. He said, Draymond is the most important warrior. What I saw in Draymond Green is one of the reasons why there's always been a conversation and a debate on who is the most important player on the Golden State Warriors basketball team. Not who's the best, you know, all time. Not who's first ballot Hall of Famer. Not all of this stuff. They go as Draymond Green goes. You know, Steph Curry had a great game in game one, and they still lost that game. But when Draymond Green is active and he's aggressive on both sides of the floor, he sets the physical tone for this Golden State Warriors basketball team. Completely different basketball team. All right, Fitz, good take or hot take? Oh, that's a hot take. I, I, I'm, you know, I would love to sit here and say that Draymond is the key to everything, but last time I checked, you still need I don't know Steph to play like Steph to win games. Like it just forgives the concept that that Steph could go out and just lay like if Steph and Clay 
both lay an egg and neither can shoot the ball at all in Boston, but Draymond has the game of his life. Is Boston winning that game? Yes. So I think that's a hot take. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of is when the Levitard show would get down like a deep dive on what is a glue guy. It just it's like <laughs> it's all semantics. Like, oh, not the best, but the most important. Well, listen, if Steph isn't there, you're not winning that game. Sorry. Who's scoring for you? Who's setting up the offense? Who's drawing the double teams to set up the easy plays, making the swaggy passes to get guys open looks? Like, it's fine to say that Draymond is a terrifically important part and to recognize the energy that he brought last night and what a role he played particularly in their defensive aggressiveness and intensity but I'm never going to say most important warrior unless it's the guy like not only again I mentioned earlier was Steph a fueling source for them offensively but he was outstanding defensively where we usually expect drop off from him so uh Draymond good Steph most important and best thank you Thank you. Yeah, take my hot take to the bank. All right, next next take. J.J. Redick talking about the Warriors shutting down the Celtics in the third quarter on first take. I don't think they came out of the halftime being like, all right, we're up to, or whatever. It was a two-point game. We already got one. We're, we're, we're good going back to Boston 1-1. I, I, I look at this more like what the Warriors did in that third quarter, specifically the barrage of jump shots from Jordan Poole and, and Stephen Curry. That ultimately is a momentum driver, especially at home. And they started knocking down those shots. And on the other side of the basketball, you have to give the Warriors credit. Like, it's not like the Boston Celtics weren't trying to score. You know, they had, they had I believe they had more uh, turnovers than field goals in that third quarter. Yeah, I mean, that's a good take. I don't know what he's responding he to, could. but it sure sounds like someone said the Celtics gave up. The Celtics didn't show up. Trust me. The Celtics wanted to take two from the Warriors and shut the door before heading back to Boston. Oh, is Stephen A. Smith? Shocking. Uh, I'm not surprised. That sounded like exactly who J.J. Redick would be responding to. Is Stephen A. Smith saying the Celtics didn't try, didn't show up, they should be ashamed of themselves? Um, I, I think this is a Celtics team that we have seen fits, particularly throughout that very long heat series that got gave us a really good look at both sides of the coin. They can get hot like 50% from outside the arc in game one hot, and they can get cold as hell and get absolutely blown out. And what you saw in that third quarter was, I'm sure, a rousing speech from Ime Odoka and the rest of the guys in the locker room, and then they came out and laid an egg. The Warriors were just better, and sometimes that happens. In the same way that we saw in game one, Steve Kerr, he was mic'd up, giving his guys a speech, like, rah, rah, here we go, take care of the ball, be aggressive, make some shots. First play out of that turnover. It just doesn't always work out for you, even if you're trying your best. Yeah, and uh, anytime somebody says that a team in the finals essentially didn't come out and give their all, I, I just find that portion of it. Like, this is a good take from J.J. Redick because at the end of the day, the concept that the Celtics didn't want to come out and go home, I don't know, with the 2 nothing lead, first has failed, second. If the team was just good with the one win they had, then why play anybody and risk injury in the second game? Third, there are a bunch of professional athletes that went into halftime in a two-point game with the opportunity to take a two-game lead home. I think they wanted that. So any idea that they came out flat because they didn't have that fire just seems asinine to me. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, doing a little good take, hot take. Let's get some Chris Canty in here from Canty and Carlin. Canty was on with Mike Greenberg today and said the Celtics should have just let Jalen Brown go after Draymond. If Draymond Green has got the battery in his back, if he's wound up, 
then Jason Tatum has got to let Jalen Brown go. Marcus Smart, don't get in the middle of it. It's not like you're worried about Draymond Green getting up and punching Jalen Brown in the face. Guys in the NBA don't fight. This ain't hockey. This ain't baseball. Hell, it ain't football. Those guys don't do that. So your your teammate is not in any jeopardy. Go ahead and let that happen because if the double technical is issued, the Draymond is tossed, and now all of a sudden the guys on your front line, Al Horford, Robert Williams, they can be more effective because the best defender for Golden State is out of the game. Good take or hot take, Fitz. No, that is a great take, and it reminds me of – the way they used to approach certain hockey matchups where you'd send your enforcer out on the ice just to agitate their best player because if we got five for fighting, let's at least take my guy that I don't need as much off the ice at the same time as your great player. Like, that is a that, that makes a ton of sense to me from Canty's standpoint. Like, get out there, get dirty with it. Worst case scenario, you get Draymond off the court, and that helps you in so many ways. I love that strategy. I'm torn on this one. It's a good and hot take because – Best case scenario, exactly what you just said happens. It gets Draymond out of the game. You rile him up. You know that he's easily, you know, incited. And you suddenly have a team in the Warriors that doesn't have Draymond. On the other hand, you play your cards wrong. And Jalen Brown is out of the game as well. And Jalen Brown was going off in that game. He only finished with 17. But he was, what, 13 or 14 points with five to play in the first quarter. He was going off. I, I, I worry about that sacrificing one of your own for the other. There was a famous instance of that back in the, uh, in the Bulls series of the 90s where Ron Harper you know, got all tied oh, yeah. up and we managed to get an exchange uh, with the Knicks where it worked out in our favor. Um, you know, but I, I just think you really, it, it's very risky to play that game. And you are right, by the way, Sarah. You are smarter than I am, as usual. It is a, a, a definite crapshoot to go in and be like, hey, let's just start taking players off both sides and presuming that that works out for our side. It's a, it's a video game mentality from a former fiddle player, not a former athlete. <laughs> I, I, if you play your cards right, though, especially because the NBA is much more likely to give you a first tee than an ejection, and he's already got a tee, you could try to get him out. But if you get thrown out, too, all of a sudden they're without a guy that was red hot to start that game. White hot, potentially, even. Aaron Donald gets what he wants. Deshaun Watson's story keeps getting worse. We'll get into both next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And we came in to tonight expecting to be fully charged on all things NBA. We'll, we'll get back to some NBA conversation throughout the course of the show. But the big news today didn't come from the NBA. It came from the NFL, and it comes in the form of a new contract for Aaron Donald. The Rams superstar gets a huge raise from his team in a reworked contract that ensures he will be the highest non-paid quarterback in the NFL. $40 million raise over the last three years of his contract. Important notes, there is a no-trade clause in this, and obviously he will have the opportunity to retire before the 2024 season with no lost money. But if he comes back, an additional $30 million in guaranteed. You are talking about huge amounts of cash coming to, Deshaun, uh, to Aaron Donald. And this is only days after Aaron Donald made it clear that he wants to play for championships and he only wants to play if the business makes sense. So, Sarah, this is another one of those rare examples of a player coming out and saying, hey, I know my worth. I'm going to get my worth. And a team in the Rams continuing to say, we have a model of how we're going to contend right now, and we don't give a damn about money, 
about the draft, about the future. We care about this window, trying to win these championships today. It's a great moment for Rams fans. It's a great moment for Aaron Donald, and it's a confusing moment for everybody else that's sitting there saying, wow, I thought this was impossible to do. <laughs> yeah, we remember what our buddy, uh, friend of the show, Les Sneed, that shirt, F them picks instead of F them <laughs> kids. Like, we know what their strategy is, and they're going to stick with it. When you have a guy like Aaron Donald, it may pain you to sign the check and understand that you're making more money than Matt Stafford signed earlier this year from the team. But it's worth it. And you, you have to assume that he's not slowing down anytime soon. Um, and you have to hope and assume that the threats of retirement were not due to a lack of passion or feeling settled, but a, but a desire to get what he wanted. Mina Kimes was on Canty and Carlin talking about uh, his new deal today. On one hand, the fact that they gave him this much more money without, you know, adding years does suggest that Donald had some leverage uh, in terms of threatening his retirement. Uh, but on the other hand, it's kind of hard for me to believe uh, an NFL player in the peak of his career who loves the game as much as he does is still so utterly dominant. I think entering the greatest of all time territory would walk away not only from that, but the significant amount of money he was already owed, but either case it worked out for the Rams from a football perspective obviously they remain in a win now mode and they remain the, the favorite I think uh, close to Tampa Bay in the NFC yeah I mean this would have been a huge issue um, if they had lost him because they don't have a lot of ability to produce players out of you know they don't have picks to, to trade and they've got to get people who are coming there with a belief to win and Aaron Donald also sure helps with that when you need to add some more pieces yeah well and you do make a great point he's 31 so it's important that the Rams get the most out of him that they can right now and for what looks like the rest of his career however however long that will be he's going to be a Ram and going to get paid incredibly well to do it Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz were brought to you by my computer career training for a better life that's not the only big news in the NFL as the Deshaun Watson case gets yet another development and so a week after a 23rd civil suit was filed against Watson another was filed Monday in Harris County Texas uh, this is very similar to the others in the sense that a massage therapist has accused Watson of sexual misconduct it's pretty graphic I would tell everybody to get out there read some of what is in this case it is uh, it's a tough read it's an important read and this is yet another uh, case coming this comes after the the alleged victim saw the interview and saw Deshaun Watson essentially say he's not done anything wrong and as a result felt the the compelled to come out and mm -hmm. add to this uh, lawsuit so Sarah it's a reminder that we're nowhere close to done with where we stand with Deshaun Watson and there's more information coming out every day yeah, the last two, the 24th and 23rd accusers, both said that they, they watched and saw him say he regretted nothing and did nothing wrong and inspired them to come forward as well. This 24th complainant said she quit massage therapy soon after her interaction with him. As you said, it's pretty graphic. We'll let people read that. Um, interesting note about the 23rd accuser who came forward just a couple days ago. Um, there's a story on Pro Football Talk, uh, NBCSports.com, um, where... Deshaun Watson's lawyer is alleging that Deshaun gave $5,000 to the owner of a spa business where several of the massage therapists that he went to worked because he's a nice guy. That is the quote. She asked him to help out her business, and he did, and that's what the $5,000 was. Meanwhile, 
one of the complainants, says that at least three of the plaintiffs work for or are associated with the woman who took the $5,000 payment. And Nia Smith, who filed lawsuit last week, claims that the woman who took the payment facilitated massages for Watson, knowing that he was attempting to have sex with his therapists. And in the lawsuit, uh, the woman who accepted the payment invoked the Fifth Amendment when asked about text messages she exchanged with Watson about the $5,000. If she just got a donation from a guy wanting to help her business, which, weird, then why would she invoke the Fifth? And why would she have several women who worked for her who alleged that there was sexual, unwanted sexual conduct? So it certainly sounds like she was essentially pimping out her own employees. Um, all of these just add into a continuing conversation, as you said, Fitz. It feels like the deal with the... It, there were two stark moments in this. Uh, when the grand jury elected not to indict on criminal charges, which, as we talked about at the time, there are endless statistics backing up the difficulty in indictments when it comes to sexual assault and harassment charges. Uh, there's tons of work out there on that if you want to read about it. There was that moment, and then the moment that the Browns signed the deal. And after that, it's sort of like there's so many people out there who don't really want to acknowledge or continue to report on these details that come out, particularly, and I talked about this when you were gone last week, Rusty Harden admitting on the air that Deshaun mm. Watson, uh, that when people go to get massages, it's normal to be looking for happy endings and it's not illegal, which it is. It is absolutely illegal. And Deshaun Watson has always held throughout that he was seeking just regular professional massages. And now his lawyer is flat out saying, that, that he was going, hoping for that, that he made people, if he made people uncomfortable or said or did things that were wrong, that's not illegal. And he, after the fact, of course, has acknowledged that he had at least three consensual sexual encounters with massage therapists, all of whom he claims came on to him voluntarily at the end of the sessions. But this was a guy, of course, that was just getting over 100 therapists on Instagram just because he needed some body work done. I mean, it, all, I mean, I don't know how you could continue to argue that this is a money grab and that... You know, he's been telling the truth the whole time. It just, the more you unravel it, the more it looks like this could be disastrous uh, for the Browns, in addition to the fact that this civil case might go on a long time and, and be pretty complicated. I think one of the complicated parts about portions of this for fans is realizing that you have to admit what you root for and what you care about. And that's not easy for anybody that, that's a fan of a team or a player or any of those situations. And what happens when you turn when you start having huge cases that involve both criminal and civil uh, trials which are completely separate and we all know that the burden of proof is wildly different at this point like that's so well covered it's just funny to me how in society so often we decide what means guilt and innocence differently based on what we want for our fandom and, and, and for me when you look at Deshaun Watson there are so many people right now that are eager to defend well it's he said she said or this is just a bunch of people out for a money grab and what they're really also trying to say is I don't want to have to admit that it's possible that my favorite team just gave a huge guaranteed contract to an awful human being and like it, there, there just has to be this moment where you step back and say okay the burden of proof and the burden of evidence is going to continue to come out in the civil process and as we get more information What's the NFL asking? Who are the Browns talking to? Are they talking to the new people that are coming out? We need transparency if we want to have any real understanding. The problem is I think a lot of people don't want real understanding because it interferes with their fandom. And that's just a savage way to live, man. Like mm. Everybody knows my Raiders fandom is, is part of my core, all the way to who I am at the, at the being of what defines me. But, man, if you let that get in the way of the, the way people are treated – then you got to look in the mirror at some point. And that's a hard thing for people to do, but it's what we need right now.
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I heard someone say this the other day, and I think it applies to things beyond just politics, but it basically said once your belief has become your identity, it is that much harder to change your mind. And I do feel like we talk about and research shows that people use their fandom of sports as an identity marker. This isn't who I like. This is who I am. And so once you've aligned with that, you will push back so hard, even on morality that in other cases you absolutely would not make exceptions for if it was your neighbor or your uncle or your friends, whatever. But in the case of sports, you're protecting that sort of tribe that you belong to. And that's the scary thing about this case is it feels like people made up their mind the instant they heard, they decided they were in or out. The, the facts don't matter much. And uh, we see, we'll see if they will in the civil case. And we'll, of course, see if they will in the public opinion and the way the NFL decides to handle things. It's the, Spain and Fitz. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, just quickly, <laughs> I, I have to say, like, that's a fork in the road for everybody. Shouldn't we be looking at if it's our tribe and our fandom? Shouldn't we be looking at those things that define us and say, hey, be better uh, and demanding better of the things that define us instead of turning our blind eye to things that are obviously problematic? That, that, that's mm-hmm. all. Yeah. All right. So so little time. So many stories. we got a bunch to get to. We're going to bu- run through a bunch of stories next uh, all across the sports world. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Sarah, we got a lot to get into, and we've been uh, talking so much about the NBA over the course of the last few days, sometimes it's hard to get it all fit, uh, to fit in, so I figured we could have a little bit of fun here and do some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, so let's have a little bit of fun, take a look at some of the topics going on around sports, and it starts with Nadal winning his 14th French Open, his 22nd Grand Slam title, and it becomes yet another dominant moment for one of the most dominant performers of his entire generation, Sarah. Fun to watch. Yeah, he was uh, hurting, and I hope that there's some procedure he's going to get that he's hoping will prevent him from having to get major surgery. Um, He's still playing so well that I don't want age and injury to slow down uh, what's really fun for all of us to watch. He just gave himself a little bit more of a padding between him and Djokovic and Federer, which is, you know, the big three that everyone always talks about in connection to the greatest of all time. He's second, uh, 22nd Grand Slam men's title, the most uh, for any man, uh, leading those guys by two. And then he's 14 for 14 in French Open finals. If he has made the finals, he wins it, even when his foot is so medicated that it's completely numb. Uh, so congrats to Rafa. I mean, we take that for granted, but what you just said about his foot being so medicated, it's numb like that. There's just a level of toughness to what he oh, does yeah. that is just and a level of sustainability. Like uh, you, you also mentioned, when will we see a drop off? But it's incredibly powerful to still watch him play and play so well. It's not like he's dominating in an era where there's no competition for him. He's just dominating in an era because he continues to dominate, which is uh, in and of itself fun to watch. So let's go to the next story. Quickies. Uh, we got a little bit of Dodgers action here. So I'll admit that it, it was wildly confusing for me, but the Dodgers were prevented from pitching a position player during their, during their half of the ninth inning on Saturday night against the Mets because they violated a recent addition to the rule book. Dave Roberts intended to use a utility player to record the three final outs 
Uh, the Dodgers had already exhausted six pitchers during the course of this game. So they actually unintentionally, they violated a rule that didn't allow that to happen. The, um, the umps had to come together and decide that he couldn't pitch. It was confusing to me, but I was also looking at Dave Roberts saying, like, you know the rules, dude. Like, I would no, think you've got this under control. He didn't know the rules, and neither did the <laughs> officials. And that's what was such a mess. That's what was such a mess is that, you know, it was Dave Roberts either trying to weasel his way into not using a pitcher and save him for the next day's oh, outing. I didn't even think oh, of the, that. Like. Right, right. Like, oh, I, I'm giving up on this game. I'm going to go ahead and use a position player so that I don't have to use a reliever I might want tomorrow. Um, or just didn't know the rule uh, because they did change it during the COVID stuff and then went back to it. Um, but when the opposing team's manager has to tell the umpires, oh, excuse me, pardon me, this is not the rule being properly applied, then they have to go yell at the guy who's in the bullpen getting warm-ups he shouldn't be allowed because he should instead be on the mound. Then that guy comes out and screams for a while to kill some time. All the while, the fans are like, what's happening? As Clinton pointed out, at least they put mics on the officials now so the umpires can tell you what the hell's going on when you're at a game like that. Yeah, I just don't know if I want mics on the officials when everybody's trying to figure that out. And you're right. It's so strange to feel like everybody's confused on the rule books. Also speaks to maybe like, maybe they need to have like a little uh, tutorial. Maybe get everybody together on a Zoom. Uh, let's go to the next story. Quickies. Rashid Wallace has agreed on a deal to be an assistant coach for the Lakers under Darvin Ham, according to Shams, uh, the, is where that report Shams. comes from. Uh, Shams, sorry. Yes. Uh, what's amazing and that is in front of me, and I'm Ron Burgundy, and I read it wrong, but the <laughs> other thing that's amazing is that Rashid Wallace sort of popped into the forefront of everybody's mind over the course of the last few days is it felt like he was a candidate for a bunch of different jobs. Yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, – Listen, we know that that Lakers job is interesting no matter what, and that there was a thought that you would need someone with a whole lot of experience as a head coach. Darvin Ham does not have that respected. Good coaching tree. But I am very curious to see Rashid Wallace. I don't know if he's quite different as a coach, but uh, maybe the maybe the attitude, the aggressiveness, the style of play that he brings that everybody remembers of him as a player, maybe that – is a, a good motivation for the players. But it seems like it'll be – I want to see a hard knocks of the Lakers. Oh, my God. You're not wrong. Uh, by the way, it, he has been – Wallace has been uh, on Penny Hardaway's staff for the last year at Memphis. So yeah. uh, we'll see how Penny uh, replaces him from there. And then, of course, the last story on our quickies list comes from UFC fighter Jeff Molina on Backlash. For anyone that didn't see it, he wore some UFC Pride Month shorts – and as a result of wearing them, he got a ton of blowback from the crowd that was there and from people around the sport, which he spoke about at his press conference. I want you to hear what Jeff had to say. Man, you're going to get me riled up. Dude, it's ridiculous. Like, um, who would have thunk it that, like, in 2022, people are still, like, not, who the f cares, bro? Like, honestly, it's not even about being an ally. I'm not saying I'm not, but it's like, just be a decent f person like just be a decent human being and like judging someone and and, and trying to justify it with religion and, and saying all sorts of like just spiteful hateful is is crazy to me it's mind-boggling it's like who cares what who someone wants to be with or like their sexual preference like and then trying to justify it, the, the irony of trying to justify it by religion of something that's supposed to be so accepting and you're gonna get me going on a tangent man I just I was honestly shocked I, like uh, I, I so I picked the colors because I thought it looked cool, and then also it supports a good cause, you know. Um, but 
I'll support anything of a community that's been uh, oppressed and ostracized for, for some time now for something they can't help, you know? I'll get behind any of that, you know? It, it wasn't that long ago that, like, there was, like, school segregation and, and like, that was, like, less than a person ago, man. That wasn't that long ago. And then same thing with, like, something like Stonewall. That was, like, 50 years ago. That's not even a whole person. Like, that wasn't a whole person ago, man. This is, like, recent And I just thought in 2022, people would be a little more, like, open-minded and, and not pieces of But I guess I was wrong. It, it's just crazy to me. Like, people were saying some, like, crazy And it's like, dude, what would you do if your kid's gay? Like, what, are you going to and then trying to justify it, like, by God, this is going to send you to hoop. Dude, like, mind your own business. If it doesn't concern you, get f***ed. Like, oh, sorry, you guys are going to... I'm trying to have a good day here, bro. <laughs> Can we talk about Fitz? A UFC fighter just dropping Stonewall references and, yeah. and acknowledging and fighting for gay rights eloquently and thoughtfully and so simply, just so simple, I just, I loved it so much because, listen, there's going to be plenty of people who have really thought about this stuff and have, have talked about it at length. But when you get it in the unexpected places and the places that you always thought might remain bigoted and closeted for so long, you get it from someone like that. It just, it, it feels good. There's weight to the conversation when it comes from a source like that. We'll continue the conversation with some thoughts from an expert next. Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Monday, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're just listening to some sound at the end of Quickies there. Jeff Molina, UFC fighter who kind of came out of nowhere with some really powerful and impassioned words. Uh, UFC flyweight who wore some trunks in support of pride. Here's just a little bit of what he said after his fight. Man, you're going to get me riled up. Dude, it's ridiculous. Like, um, who would have thunk it that, like, in 2022, people are still, like, not... Who the f*** cares, bro? Like, honestly, it's not even about being an ally. I'm not saying I'm not, but it's like, just be a decent f- person. Like, just be a decent human being. And, like, judging someone and, and, and trying to justify it with religion and, and saying all sorts of, like, just spiteful, hateful shit is is crazy to me it's mind-boggling it's like who cares what who someone wants to be with or like their sexual preference like yeah he goes on he drops a stonewall reference he just makes it so simple and clear uh, israel gutierrez our espn nba reporter and our senior gay analyst as they would say on the daily show uh <laughs> comes on to join us now to talk about the intersection of pride and sports this month a couple stories but let's start with that one i saw you share that and i immediately retweeted it and i was like i got a new favorite ufc fighter i think just like the sport the moment i was i was excited to see it come from a place that maybe i didn't expect yeah uh me too and hi sarah um, yeah, I agree entirely. Um, I, I had no idea, you know, what I was uh, looking into, and I don't really know Melina that well, but um, I'd heard of him. And, you know, hearing that, um, it's amazing, too, because, like, you know, people get uh, sort of nitpicked about the smallest of things, the way they talk about something, right? But even with, with Jeff uh, saying, you know, some, like using the phrase sexual preference, okay, like, that's fine that you use that as a mistake and we get that because right. like the actual message of being just be a good person like that is exactly like what we try to like i try to talk about all the time you know the idea that 
you know, I, I understand that people don't get it, but I don't have a choice in being who I am. Therefore, if I could just, you know, get natural human, you know, emotion, natural, you know, just uh, empathy from other humans, that, that'd be fantastic. Like equal treatment is all we're looking forward to. And so to have somebody just kind of boil it down to something as simple as like, don't be a jerk, you know, don't be a bleephead mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people don't really realize that and that, that how simple it can be. And then, you know, the idea of, of him mentioning a couple of times of like hiding it behind religion, um, you know, Tampa Bay Rays in a similar situation with, you know, certain players on their team not wearing the pride flag and saying it's something, you know, about their religion. Like that seems like a very, you know, um, sort of not very welcoming religion, not very loving religion, not very inclusive religion, either that or very like, uh, you know, clothing specific religion. But, um, (laughs) you know, that's not what anything I've ever learned about religion in general. And so somebody who's even, you know, let's say you don't know much about LGBT. Let's say you don't know anything other than, hey, like they are humans and should be not, and should be treated like other humans. Um, I think, you know, walking into that conversation with, you know, the, the way Melina did or, you know, that discussion, I think is probably the baseline of how everybody should look into it and then, you know, sort of educate themselves from there. Izzy, you mentioned the raise conversation and I, I say conversation because that's what it's created. I mean, there's a lot of yelling right now, but, if we were to sit down and have a real conversation with everybody involved in this process with the raise, what would your message be to people that, that didn't want to be supportive? Yeah. Um, like my, my message is it's very similar to what Jeff Molina was saying. It's just in terms of, um, you know, surprising that, you know, religion can create this type of divisiveness and this type of separation. Um, And, you know, it makes me sad when I, you know, just think about and, you know, regardless of what my actual religious stance is, like, am I because I know, you know, for a fact that who I am is not a choice and that I was created this way. And like the fact that I am supposed to then like what give up on the idea of a higher power because there haven't been, you know, the right religion out there that includes me. I think that's absolute nonsense. And I think that's you know, there are enough um, LGBT people out there. Lazy Clarendon is the first name that comes to mind, honestly. But a lot of LGBT athletes out there who are very much involved in religion and uh, believe in a higher power and, frankly, you know, inspire me um, to think that way because, you know, frankly, it was beaten down upon me that, like, wait a second, why does it make sense that, you know, all these folks who believe in this, you know, religion and believe in God and now I'm supposed to not be on that list of people who can do that. And that hurts. It hurts a lot. And so I don't think the um, the idea, the idea of, you know, hiding behind a religious belief is just silly. And, you know, um, I haven't seen a single, you know, religion that specifies that you can't wear something in support of a marginalized group, whether or not, you know, you believe that group um I don't know, is doing something against what you believe in or against, you know, your beliefs. I, I, I understand, you know, that possibility. But again, it's all it takes is a little bit of work and a little bit of, you know, um, speaking of information and maybe discussing with things. I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody who's willing to, you know, wanting to break down what it is, you know, to be LGBT and, you know, in this world and, and everything else. So, yeah, that part just it's really frustrating. And frankly, like I read that yesterday and I just put my phone down for like four or yeah. five hours and didn't want to go back to it because it just made mm. me really sad. Izzy Gutierrez is with us here on Spain and Fitz, our ESPN NBA reporter. Um, yeah, is I was, you know, I'm not super religious, but the folks who I've talked to about how most of the major religions have plenty of devout members 
uh, and leaders uh, who are either LGBTQ plus themselves or support it. And that in the end, it becomes God has already accepted them and we simply need to acknowledge what God has done. God has already said mm -hmm. in any number of ways and all over the Bible um, in ways that are true to every other aspect of that religion um, to love and accept. And the most important is not to judge and all this other stuff. And there's so many other parts of the Bible that become either modernized or completely forgotten because there is no way you yeah. can try to translate into modern life and argue that that's still the, the message that was being sent. And this is the one that some people cling to. And to your point about calling and asking you or talking to you, I think that's so much of it, right? It's fear-mongering because there's a fear of the unknown. And if you don't surround yourself with or sure. talk to anybody uh, different, then you can convince yourself that um, that gay people are the worst of their stereotypes or that it's, it's all sexual. That's another thing I think that I would love for you to speak to that aspect because you're just a human being who's just the same as all of us and your relationship is one part of that, but that ends up becoming something that stands as um, sex instead of humanity, I think. Exactly. Look, and, and like I totally um, I appreciate you asking me that because, you know, people will constantly say, oh, you know, stop sexualizing kids or start bringing, you know, this, you know, subject to our children. I'll, I'll just say one thing. I knew I was gay when I was a child. You know, it was before I was an adult. And, you know, I knew that it was wrong, uh, according to the rest of the world, well before I was an adult. So to have these discussions with children um, are not only uh, not harmful, but absolutely necessary. And if we want to just, let's say, disguise the conversation behind, you know, a rainbow flag, which is, I mean, the most, you know, welcoming signal you, uh, symbol you can think of, um, then great. You know, if you want to, you know, hide the conversation or disguise, disguise the conversation behind a parade or some very, you know, boisterous and flamboyant people that are enjoying themselves, okay, let's do that rather than just have this intense overall conversation about religion and life and like just why we're on this planet like all that stuff is too heavy to talk about all the time like let's go ahead and you know put it behind a parade and, and a flag and and let's talk about it that way and you know i'm i'm in sports and i you know chose to be in sports in large part because i didn't want to deal with the realness of life right like i want if i'm going to be here for just one cycle, I just want to enjoy myself while I'm at right. it, and I really like sports. But I can't ignore these types of conversations and these types of truths because then it's just, you know, so many people that are just living life, uh, unfortunately, and, and with other people pressing down on them. So, yeah, it's just it's, it's a whole big conversation and one that I would love to tackle anytime you guys want to talk about it. Izzy, uh, I, I can't speak to the sports over a long period because I haven't been doing this a long. We've talked before about my background. I can feel a tangible difference in the way country music treats the LGBTQ community today versus the way it was even three years ago. And I'm very proud of the growth that Nashville and the country music community has had. What growth have you seen in the way the sports world treats the community overall? I mean, you know, the sports world, I, I like to, I'd love to separate it from the real world, but it's it's impossible to. And so while I know that there are people like Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union who are just being amazingly open and, and, and you know, just telling every detail about raising an LGBT uh, transgender child, um, I think that is, you know, that's huge. But at the same time, like sports is obviously a reflection of real life. And I've never been more disappointed in the world than I've been in the last, you know, couple of years, people coming out of the woodworks and sort of allowing themselves to be openly bigoted and 
you know, I didn't think we'd be in this place where I'd be going backward. And so, um, you know, while I would love to say that the sports world has advanced, you know, more quickly than everybody else, I can't say that for a fact because where are all the openly, you know, gay men, because the women have been killing it, but where are the openly gay men who are comfortable out there? Like there's a, a small handful, obviously Carl Nassib, you know, the Jason Collins, et cetera, Robbie, uh, Rob, Robbie Rogers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah. Um, I had a high school. I had a high school team. Uh, I had a friend named Robbie Robinson. So I get him confused a little bit, but um, so yeah, I, I just don't know if if the sports world has changed enough because obviously the Tampa Bay Rays completely botched their Pride Night, which is just yeah. one simple night, you know, yeah. of support. And so there's a, there's a lot, you know. I think the people who tried to argue, hey, why does it matter? Why should we talk about it? And a lot of that is being said in the sports world. I think that's entirely dangerous, just in the in the simple fact that. If we are silent about anything, like we just don't know what's going to happen, lawmakers can go ahead and just put things in the books that all of a sudden, you know, are discriminatory against us. And why did that happen? Because nobody was speaking up for it. And frankly, you know, no supporters or allies were speaking up enough for it. So the why does it matter crowd, I think, you know, they need to just recognize that it matters a ton. Well, and that's what I said today on Around the Horn is that it's a small thing in baseball. But when you allow religious exemptions that essentially don't include and that judge, then that's how the laws continue to be made that actually deny people health care and prescriptions and apartments and and children and all the other things that can be allowed by these uh, religious exemption rules that I think are are frankly BS. And to your point about not exposing kids, uh, we watch uh, endless movies, including Disney ones that have princes and princesses kissing and love everywhere yeah. that's exactly what mm-hmm. we're celebrating with pride is is love and and not sex and we're not shoving it in anyone's faces when we talk about it any more so than we do on a regular basis with stories about men and women who are in love uh izzy we love you and i'm sorry Thank if you. uh the rays watching <laughs> this made you sad but um uh hopefully the conversation will make people better and we appreciate your time yeah You're amazing man Thanks. thank for you you guys thank you for bringing it up also appreciate for it for sure you can follow him at Is Gutierrez on Twitter. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now, a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You can say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Coming up, we'll close this conversation and get back to some thoughts on the NBA Finals next. It's Spain and Fitz. A big thank you to Izzy for joining us and... For being our senior gay correspondent, as they say on The Daily Show. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I, I you know, I want to have those conversations and I want to bring in, you know, Izzy to talk about them because um, as you and I were talking about earlier, I think sometimes when your opinion becomes your identity, it's so much harder to move off of it. And I'm looking at my mentions from what I said on Around the Horn today and from what I tweeted in a follow-up to people saying my take was crazy. Um And I just feel like I want to keep conversations going, maybe not so much for the people who are telling me that I am evil and should die or other things uh, that I can't repeat on the air, Uh, but for the ones in the middle that maybe aren't sure how they feel and maybe just need to keep hearing and having conversations about the importance of inclusion, the importance of representation, um, because there are plenty of people out there who are still growing up in communities and spaces where they don't know if they should live and if who they are and what they are will be accepted enough in their lives to find joy and be happy and be supported and be loved. And so every day of pride where you see someone like the Rays players wearing that or you hear a fighter like Jeff Molina talking about that and that affords one kid 
teenager, adult, who's, who hasn't come out yet, the opportunity to feel included and welcomed and loved, um, that's what Pride's about. And the idea that you couldn't wear a patch because your religion tells you not to, but you, you, you're, they're welcome and you love them and they're welcome to be at the ballpark, but you don't agree with that lifestyle. First of all, using that word tells me you haven't done any work at all on the subject because that's an antiquated term that hasn't been used for years. But it also tells me that you're hiding behind that religion out of fear, out of ignorance, out of privilege, and not understanding that the policies and laws that discriminate against gay people, the hatred that endangers gay people, all of that is buoyed by your continued decision that you can't be a part of something that just says you're welcome, you're included, you're accepted. Yeah, well, and Sarah, you know, if you talk to people, and I've, I'm lucky to have a lot of friends that have worked in the church and around the church, and they'll tell you that part of the reason that mission trips go where they go and the conversations you have is because you want to talk to non-believers because you never know when you're going to plant a seed. And that seed mm. later in life can really change the way somebody sees their relationship with God. I would argue that uh, it's equally important to plant the seed of love and LGBTQIA plus and everything that matters in pride. It's equally important to have those conversations with people that may not support it or see it right now because you never know when you're planting a seed that later will change the way somebody's heart feels about that. Because ultimately, if your goal, and like my goal is to, is to find better acceptance and fight alongside everybody I know who's not being given that opportunity to love and to live the way the rest of us are, if, if that is my goal and it is, then I have to be willing to have conversations that people will fight me on uh, right. verbally. Uh, because if I don't do that and I just let it go because of a philosophical or religious difference, then I'm no longer giving an opportunity later in life for that to change for a lot of people. So that's part of my goal, and that's part of why I think these important conversations have to happen, not just during Pride, but year-round. Yeah, and I think what happens is you get people who try to do the mental gymnastics of arguing that it's intolerant to not allow people to be intolerant. And I want to say it's not discrimination that we don't want you to discriminate. It's not bullying to tell you that you're not allowed to bully people. There is no LGBTQIA plus movement to stop people from being allowed to be Christian or Muslim or any other religion. But there are religious groups who are actively seeking to make life less equitable for gay people. You don't get to flip it around and argue that you're the discriminated group because people are standing up and saying you are no longer allowed to discriminate and be bigoted in the name of religion, in the name of faith. And I know it's so complicated for so many people who grew up in the church, but I would tell you that there are people from every religion that are accepting and welcoming, and are, they themselves are gay, who have found in the words of God and the Bible and whatever it is in scripture that they read, the welcome sort of love and acceptance and lack of judgment and love thy neighbor and everything else that supposedly is the undercurrent of everything and gets oft forgotten in place of, of the fear mongering and, and everything else that goes on. But I, I just, it, it pains me every time people try to both sides bigotry and discrimination. You are not being discriminated against if people stand up and tell you, you are not allowed to discriminate. And the quotes from the Rays were just, they were trying to play both sides. You were welcomed and loved. We want you to be here, but I can't wear that because I disagree and I don't encourage your lifestyle. Sorry, then you're not welcomed and loved and accepted. I would choose to change you. I would choose for someone I know to not be like you and replace that with black or another religion or another creed 
and and you hear how awful it sounds. And yet, for some reason, we continue to allow LGBTQIA communities to be the ones that we're willing to give those quote unquote religious exemptions for hate the sinner or hate the sin, but not the sinner. That's still hatred. That's still hatred. Hate. Right. Hate is the the important part of what you just said that, that rings true. And for every person that, that's coming after you with, behind a keyboard, I would just, I, I, I would ask a million times over, you know, would you do that if whoever the God is that you love is sitting next to you? Would you do that if your pastor was sitting next to you? Are these the ways that you want to have effective conversations? If you're, if you're really rooted in faith, then you don't come with hate and anger in, in your, your comment anyway. So, you know, I think there's poor representation there for, for people of faith as well. Yeah. And, you know, I would ask in the end, ask, like, is what you're arguing for love and acceptance for everyone to be treated fairly and and humanely? And if it's not, then what kind of faith is that? And what are you in pursuit of? Anyway, we were supposed to talk about the NBA. Celtics lost. See what happens in game three. This has been Spain and Fitz. Freddie Fitzsimmons is next. They're going to have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Steve Kerr, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.